Our scripture for today is John 17, 1 through 8. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Audrey. Um, it's good to be, be together. Um, the uh, last Sunday, Steve Curry preached a message that I'm still um, really feel affected by. And um, one of the things, if it's like, well, that's a guy I don't know, um, uh, a really cool thing that we even see in the New Testament is church planting. Um, and there are church. I think when I was growing up, I thought churches just existed. It was like I never considered in the, the uh, Collins Methodist Church that I grew up in, never considered w- w- when it started and who was involved in starting it and what that process was like. I just figured, oh, it's, it has always been here and will always be here, you know, and I never pictured a, kind of a process of planting churches and why, why someone would want to do that and, and why the Lord would, would have that happen. And one of the things that you see in the New Testament is churches planting churches. And one of the churches that's kind of like a main, and we use the term, term sending church, was the church in Antioch. Um, I think if you were in Antioch, which was a, which was a city, um, if you were in Antioch, the church of Antioch would almost feel like maybe an airport terminal, where it's like, uh, you know, every, there's a bunch of people who are being discipled and gathering in like gate, you know, E12. And the gate E12, they're getting ready to go to this part of the Roman Empire to plant a church and stuff. And so, so the church of Antioch was kind of this airport terminal type church. And a church in Oklahoma City called Frontline Church has been that, has even felt called to that type of a mission in a way that is just beautiful and I think is unique. And I had the privilege to be a pastor there for five years. And uh, so Steve, who preached last week, is a, a pastor there. And then one of the things with this church is that it's not like God has just brought sacred mission into existence. Frontline Church believes that God has called them to do whatever God calls them to do to see this through, kind of, and not like just like a, hey, we'll be friends for five years, but like a, as, as long as God allows us to be in close relationship with each other, um, we're going to keep being a part of this. And even in Omaha, there's a church there called Coram Deo Church that is, is, we're getting connected in a similar way. And with the hope, too, that the Lord would call us, I, Amos Green called me this week about, he was like, did you know that there are 25 people who are driving from Webster City to Ames every Sunday? 
uh, seeking like to be a part of a church that is like preaching the word of God and, and preach and, and we were like, man, there needs to be a church plant there. <laughs> you know, like, like how would the Lord call a lot of people into that? And so one of the reasons I'm mentioning all of this is that um, Frontline has, has just been incredible, even in the season. We've talked about, we're going to pray at the very end of the service, but my wife, Patty, has just continued to be in just incredible chronic pain, and which has caused like panic attacks when she's not in chronic pain, and depression, and all sorts of stuff. And many of you have loved us super well. Uh, Frontline recently said, like, Tim, we want you to love your wife and love the church and not think about a sermon. So, because a sermon sometimes is like, like if my wife's not doing well or there's something happening in the church and it's like Thursday, Friday, it's like, well, gosh, you know, I need to, I, I want to do justice to the word of God and spend time with that. So they basically said, Tim, we don't want you to preach a sermon in March. Uh, we are going to pay for people to fly up there. We're going to pay for, for, air, for airplane or whatever, um, stay, Airbnbs, all that stuff. And we just, we just want to love your church. We want to love your family. And, so, so, and I will, Lord willing, and my family will be here. But I just want to let you know, like, a guy that I love dearly, Cale Freeman, will be preaching next week. Um, another guy that, that, well, they're all people I love. So I won't say, like, I love these two, and these two I don't so much. But... A guy named Brandon High is hopefully going to be here the second week in March. And then Coram Deo is sending their, one of their pastors from Omaha on March 20th, I believe. And then uh, Matt Polk is, uh, is uh, a guy that I'm excited for you guys to hear preach to. He'll be preaching the last Sunday in March. And then a guy named Chad Kinzer will be preaching hopefully uh, April 20th. And so, so just kind of know, like, not like, hey, let, I'm not going to go to church because I like Tim. Or maybe it's like, hey, we should start coming to church now because Tim's not preaching, you know? So regardless of that, like, I'm trusting, I will be here because I need to gather. And Lord willing, you know, my whole family will be here because we need each other. We, we need to gather. And, um, and there's a church that's crazy about us at Frontline and are, are not just loving us from afar, but loving us close up. And they want, and if you're ever in Oklahoma City or in Omaha, like, let me know because it's like they want to know because they're like, oh, you are a person God has called to sacred mission. Like, we want to know, can we all pray for you right now, you know, and stuff. And so, so it is a real relationship like Antioch would be excited when they hear back, you know, how the church in Ephesus is doing and stuff like that. So, so just kind of preview of coming attractions of what's coming as well, and also that I'm encouraged by that, and I want you to be encouraged as well, and um, Lord willing, the Lord would use it in Patty's life and in the life of our church as well, so that sound okay? Um, so a little bit of context as we dive into John 17 is where we're going to be today. Preaching through the book of John, I think it's been over 50 Sundays that we've been in the book of John, and it is that valuable. It has that much treasure in it to spend that amount of time. But then also know Jesus is expecting the way that he's talking at the end of the letter and stuff and the way that his ministry was, he's expecting us to be tracking with him. You know, he's telling us a long story that is a story that, that must be heard and he is expecting us to track with him. Uh, then John 18 is going to be Jesus being arrested, okay? John 17, the Last Supper has already happened, and now they are walking to the Garden of Gethsemane. And look at, look at verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, so John 16, John 15, he's, he said a lot of incredibly important things that we must know. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, 
And then we have John 17. And then if you just kind of skip ahead to John 18, verse 1 says, When Jesus had spoken these words, the prayer, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. It's still there today. There's thousand-year-old um, olive trees in this garden. There's a giant church called the Church of the Nations that was built where they think Jesus prayed at the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, the other gospel writers tell about his prayer in the garden. But John talks about the prayer on the way to the garden. And they all talk about the arrest of Jesus. So that's, uh, that's part of the context. We'll cover half of the prayer today uh, then uh, Kale will, will cover the other half of the prayer next Sunday. Um, so we're in John 17. Let's just dive into verse 1. It says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So much is happening in just these two sentences. And it's, we've seen this throughout the book of John, but it's just like concentrated orange juice kind of where it's just like, man, um, there's just so much in this little section. And one of the things I've realized, like I was thinking about my marriage with Patty, I've been thinking about just friends that I've had for a long time, is that you could, like, probably if you just, like, were a fly in the wall in someone's home when, like, people who've been married for, like, 40 years talk to each other, they're, like, communicating a lot in a short phrase because they have so much history and they have so much shared history that when they say something, they're usually communicating or they're able to communicate a lot of things. And I think the relationship between God the Father and the Son is like no difference. God the Father and His Son Jesus have been in a relationship that is eternal. So if you got in a time machine and you put in, when the Father and the Son met each other, go, you would never arrive at a beginning. You'd be like, man, this is, we've been in this time machine for a long time. Or when do we get there? And it's like you'll, the relationship is forever in the past. It's forever in the past. And it's been a perfect relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit. So even like hope in a marriage, the Trinity is, for any relationship, is the ultimate example of a healthy relationship. And not without like Jesus saying, hey, I'm, I'm doing the Father's will, not my will right now. Please take this cup from me. Things that we'll see uh, Jesus do very soon. But also the reality that the most intimate relationship that has ever existed and will ever exist is the relationship between the three persons of the Trinity. Our one God who exists as Father, Son, Holy Spirit in a perfect relationship from the beginning. So here... We are clued into, I mean, imagine if you were like, hey, what's happening over there? Oh, Jesus is speaking to the Father. You probably want to be like, am I allowed to go listen? <laughs> like, I want to know what they're talking about. And in this intimate moment, Jesus speaks to the Father, and one of the first things he says is, okay, the hour has come. The hour is here. 
And you go, what hour? If you weren't privy to anything that's happened and you're listening, you'd be like, what hour? Well, it, we have to widen our gaze and not forget what's happening here. The entire purpose of Jesus, Jesus who is 100% God, the entire purpose of him taking on flesh, as we saw in John chapter 1, the entire purpose of him taking on flesh and becoming 100% man. So if you got in a time machine and say, show me when Jesus started being 100% God, you'd never arrive anywhere. If you got in your time machine and said, show me when Jesus started being 100% man, you would go to Christmas. You would go to, to Bethlehem, to a manger. And the entire purpose of Jesus standing on earth as 100% God and 100% man, he's here for a rescue mission. His whole purpose is a rescue mission hatched from eternity past in the heart of our God, and we are told he even chose us before the foundation of the world. God knew what it would take to rescue us. Like, I've used this example in the past. I could tell my kids, this time next week, we will be standing in Paris or wherever it is, and they might be like, whoa, you know, and I'm just like, this will happen next week. And really, even if I bought the tickets, there's no guarantee it's actually going to happen. Something could happen that would prevent that from happening. At my best, I can say, my plan is this time next week for us to be standing in Paris. That's the best I can do. But when this says, hey, you were chosen from, from even before the foundation of the world, God was, is actually able to pull that off. Because it means he is able to do what it takes to ensure that that's going to happen. And so for him to say, the hour has come. The hour of all of our promises are about to be fulfilled. The most humbling act that's ever been gifted to humanity, the Son of God laying down his life for us. Jesus is eternal, but he stands as a 33-year-old man who spent the last three years of his life teaching us. He spent the last three years of his life performing miracles to testify to him being who he said he was. And all of this is preparation for this hour, for the hour to come, the time when the big stuff happens. He's done big stuff, but this is the big stuff. When eternal things are taking place in a moment, eternally significant things are taking place in a moment, the time when the grotesque, costly payment of humanity's sin will be considered. And look what Jesus prays. He prays, glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. So he's praying for the father to glorify him so the son may glorify the father. And Jesus speaks of the authority the Father has given him over all flesh, giving eternal life to all whom he has given him. And glorify, if you just look at even the first eight verses of chapter 17, glorify is like boom, 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 boom. I mean, it's, he's saying glorify a lot. And uh, it made me think of Iowa State wrestling, like wrestling in the state of Iowa right now. And because uh, I, I didn't wrestle, but I, I actually have two... Um, pastor friends who pastor in Des Moines and in the Quad Cities that were both state champion wrestlers. And they told me, they said, 
to be a state champion wrestler, like, you are all, like, it is your passion. It is your life. And they even told me, they said, watch the loser of the state champion match. They will run off. A lot of times they're throwing things and they're like, they're, they will run off. And he's like, it happens all the time. And they're crying and all this stuff. And he's like, you might think it's because like, they feel like, oh, somebody beat me. But he, he said, it's not that. It's that we have our whole life thought we are a state champion. Our whole life, we have been so confident that we are the best there is. And when we lose, at the moment of our victory and we lose, it's like you're having the most existential crisis of your life. He said, I know a lot of people that are like, I don't even know who I am anymore. Because that was my whole life in that one moment and the other guy got his hand raised, not mine. And it made me think about what Jesus is saying here is Jesus is basically, his prayer is, Father, raise my hand in victory. You know, glorify me means, Lord, as the ref would raise the hand of the victor, glorifying the victor, would you raise my hand up? And I think his prayer, like, you could think, oh, that's, Jesus should know he's going to win, Jesus should know he's going, to be, he's going to be resurrected. But when Jesus prays, like, glorify me, the thing not to miss is this is not a selfish prayer by Jesus saying, you know, give me the victory raise. It's actually what we need to recognize is that if the Father raises the Son in victory, that's our victory. Because if the Father glorifies the Son, it means he's accepted the Son's payment for our sins. It means that he's like, yes, I accept your payment. The, the chasm that existed between people and God that sin had just formed now has been bridged. And there is a way to God. And so a crucial point for us not to miss here is that Jesus' glorification is our eternal life. And he makes this connection in this prayer. So we want the Father to answer Jesus' prayer and glorify Jesus because we're realizing selfishly that is our victory. And then we're brought more into eternal life. So amazing in this prayer, our eternal life is on his mind, on his heart. Look at verse 3. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth. Jesus is talking to the Father. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Jesus isn't like worried about a mob of people coming to arrest him. Like this is what he's thinking about. This is what his focus is. Knowing the Father, knowing his Son, Jesus Christ, is eternal life. And the door of this is being opened up right now. Knowing God as your Savior, trusting him as your Savior. If you know him, you have eternal life. Jesus had asked the Father to glorify him, and now he says that on earth he has been glorifying the Father. So it's as if Jesus is standing in front of people, 
and is in some way like taking the hand of the father and being like, this is the guy. <laughs> like, this is the victor. This is the one that we need to be focused on. Jesus is saying, I've been glorifying you. During his 33 years of, of his life, and especially the last three years of his life, lifting up the Father's arm, so to speak, pointing out at the victorious Father, he's been doing it by what Jesus has been saying, but also by doing, as Jesus says here, by doing the work the Father gave him to do. And then he repeats, glorify me, but adds an ab absolutely amazing aspect to this, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So Jesus speaks to the Father of the glorious, the truly glorious relationship among the Trinity before the world existed. So it's not like the Father, Son, and Spirit was like, it's really boring, this relationship we have. We need to create humans. It wasn't like that. It was like we, the relationship that we have, we need to create people and allow them to experience this and allow them to experience what we're experiencing. And so a second major point, and it's a, a question for us, is can you say amen to this prayer? And I know it's a little awkward to like, to in like mid-prayer say amen to a prayer. Usually you wait till the end. But an amen is, is just a, a Greek word that means I agree. So when you say amen, you're like, I agree to that prayer. Or, or it can mean like, so let it be. Would it happen? I, I agree with that prayer. And so can you say amen to this prayer? Just, just these three verses. Jesus says, if we know God, if we know the Father and the Son, we have eternal life. Can you say, I agree. Amen. Or are you like, I don't know. Uh, I haven't really heard this before. Or I, I'm a little uncertain. Or um, man, I, I just, maybe I used to believe that, but I'm just not sure right now. It's okay. Then Jesus says, he has glorified the Father by doing what God the Father gave him to do. He has glorified the Father. Now remember, a lot of the people he, that he has been talking to are people who say, I love God and I want to kill Jesus. I follow God. I follow God wholeheartedly. We got to kill Jesus. And so here he's saying, I am actually have been doing what he has been asking me to do. I have been sent by him and, and I have been glorifying him. And can you say, yes, amen, I agree that that is true. Then Jesus thinks back to the way our God, our one God, our one Trinitarian God, three persons, how our eternal Trinitarian God had a perfect, glorious relationship before creating us. And now that Jesus is getting ready to pay for all that broke our relationship with God and bring the way for humans to God to live in peace, Jesus prays that he and the Father would have the glory they had with each other before the world began. And we could say, huh? Or, man, I, I, it's confusing. Or we could say, amen. I agree. I agree with your prayer. So let it be. Father, would you glorify Jesus? Would you restore him? Would, would, would he not stay in a tomb? 
And, and I'm assuming that that is what relationally is happening right now. Like, could you say amen to that? And my encouragement is if you can't say amen, not to think that you're not welcome here. Or if you can't say amen, not to think like there's something that it's like, well, gosh, you should be ashamed of yourself. But instead, like, if you can't say amen to those things, that's why you're here right now or why you're listening online right now is that the Lord has you here because he loves you because these things that he is praying is for you and for your eternal life and he is desiring for you to dive in and to, to, to give yourself to this. And, and one of the things I recognized this week is I knew very little about Ukraine like, I'm not a guy that's been traveling to Ukraine a lot, um, like Nick's brother. And I wasn't even sure. I knew it used to be like a part of the former Soviet Republic, but I also probably couldn't have told you exactly which side of Russia it was on or um, any of that stuff. And so this week, as it seemed like that was becoming a more real thing, um, I started researching Ukraine, as, as many people did. Like, I couldn't have told you Zelensky was the president. And now, like, I'm, I'm reading more and more about him because, because I'm, I'm, I'm motivated to understand this really important thing that's happening on our planet right now. And one of the things that I would encourage all of us is that, like, that's true here as well. And it actually should be more true. That, like, if you walked over and you're like, okay, that's Jesus, and this is who he says he is, and he's praying to the Father, and he's mentioning us having eternal life. Like, there's no advertisers in the world that would be bold enough to say, this will give you eternal life. You know, they would just probably be, be sued for something, false advertisement. But for Jesus to actually say, like, this is giving you eternal life, and if you go over and hear that, and you're like, none of this makes sense to me. Instead of, like, me just being like, ah, I don't know about the Ukraine. Guess I just won't pay attention to this. As opposed to being like, I think I need to know about an offer of eternal life. I think I need to know about, about these things. And, and, and I think I, I want to be able to say amen to this. Or, or I, want, I want this to be really true in my life if this is really true. And this should engross us more than anything else that could possibly occupy our time and attention. And I don't say that to shame us. I don't say that to say, you went to a movie and watched a movie? How dare you? I stayed home and meditated on the things of the Lord, you know? Like, it's okay to enjoy things like that in life. So not to shame every waking hour we have, but also to give us permission to say, we should be all in. To give us permission to say, like, um, it, it, I was all in for like a couple hours on Ukraine because I needed to be caught up to speed. And, and it's okay for us to be all in as it relates to the Lord because that's what he wants because he's, he's actually focusing on us. So we aren't being selfish by pursuing eternal life. He's like, yes, this is why I am giving my life for you. So, um, man, like come back here every week. Get a Bible and read it. You can actually understand it in parts that you don't understand. Like, there are many people in our church that would love to mentor you through that. Um, when people get together to learn about the Lord, be there with them. Very simple, but it's very, uh, it's got teeth. Nothing else even claims to give us eternal life like Jesus does here. Then Jesus continues praying to the Father. Look at verse 6. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. 
Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they've believed that you sent me. Jesus' prayer is so insightful. He'll pray more specifically in the garden coming up, but here he is speaking to the Father about the completion of his teaching part of his ministry. The importance of people understanding the Father sent the Son to, to a people that we talked about were, were rejecting Jesus but saying that they're following the Father, which they weren't because they weren't following the Father's lead and pointing people to his Son. So any resistance towards Jesus isn't on Jesus. So Jesus isn't standing there being like, hey, I, because I'm all-knowing, I know a mob of people are coming to kill me. So, Father, I'm sorry that I messed up and didn't speak well enough. I'm sorry I wasn't clear. I'm sorry I didn't, I, I, I didn't use the right words. And instead of everybody praising me, people are coming to kill me. He doesn't pray that way. He says, I've shared everything. My communication has been clear. And if people are not tracking with Jesus and following him, it's not on Jesus, it's on them. And he's saying, I am sharing, I have shared what you've asked me to share, but what's amazing here is he is like, people have kept my word. There are people who actually, I gave them the words that you gave me and they received them. They received the words, and they have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they've believed that you sent me. And man, like, I would never think that that's the conversation that's happening. If the father and son are talking, and I go over to kind of like lend a little ear, and it's like, people are actually following me. People have actually believed you. They've believed me. They've, they have eternal life. The excitement that the son has for us actually believing and, I, and knowing what that means, that we would be with him forever, knowing that, that people are no longer looking to themselves for salvation, but they're looking to the Lord for salvation. And I think the, the big question for us is, will we all believe today? Would we all believe today? Because this is what the Son is, is, is praying. And this is what the Son is excited about, is will we all believe today? And if you'd like to believe, if you're like, hey, I've never believed in Jesus in that way. I've known about him, but I haven't known him. You don't have to be Roman Catholic, Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian. Like, you don't have to walk through that door first the door that you walk through is the door of saying, Jesus, I'm yours. I give my life to you. Um, what you did for me, I accept. I, I, I believe you. And the moment, I remember when I, in 1997, gave my life to Jesus, I thought I was like super late to the party. Like you're supposed to arrive at 5 p.m. and it's like 2 p.m. the next day. And I'm like, is it too late for me? Uh, sorry, I've been really busy sinning. Like, and can I still get in? And to realize it's like, man, it's it's you got air in your, your lungs, it's not too late for you, and it doesn't matter what you're doing, because what he did is of such a significance that no one can ever out his sacrifice. If you would like to believe today, the moment hasn't passed you by. Um, C.S. Lewis talks about, 
when he, he was a professor at Oxford, and in his office, he said he came kicking and screaming into believing in Jesus. He said, I was the most reluctant person that I think the world's ever seen of believing. He grew up a Christian and then was an ardent, he was known as the atheist professor of Oxford. And he came to believe. And he said, I came, I was the most reluctant convert in all of England, he said, when he gave his life to Jesus. And then he said, what struck me was actually that God would accept me on such terms. That, that he didn't deserve to come to Jesus under those terms. And he just said, the love of God for me to say like, hey, I'll even take you kicking and screaming because, uh, because that's, that's the type of love that he's poured out on, on him. So would we believe today? And if you believe, I would just encourage us to continue believing. Continue stepping into believing, uh, knowing that it delights the Son to tell the Father of our faith and all the significance of it. And remember that we're even told, thankfully, that faith as little as a mustard seed, one of the small seeds, faith as little as even a mustard seed can move mountains, we've been told. And so a beautiful response to the Lord is, I believe, help my unbelief. I believe, I want to believe more. I want to believe you more. I want to I I keep your word more closely uh, in the next weeks to come in, instead of as I've been in the last weeks to come. Would you grow my faith? Would you deepen me? I want to know you better. I want to keep your word more closely. I want to delight more that you delight in me. And to that, I, Jesus would say, yes, amen. I will answer that prayer because that's my heart as well, my heart for you. And so as Jesus was communing with the Father through prayer, I think there's a lot of ways that we can speak to him, a lot of ways that we can receive what he has given to us, but a beautiful way that we, that we commune with him is through communion. Um, and he, he, Jesus invented this with the idea of we will be with him face to face. We will one day uh, sit down at the wedding feast of the Lamb, and that will be glorious. And he says, until, you do, until we do this, do this in remembrance of me. So once again, if you are have been Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist, Roman Catholic, whatever it may be, uh, we invite you to the table if your trust is in Jesus alone for your salvation. If you say, I'm just not there yet, what I would encourage you is don't come to the table. Uh, use this as an opportunity to move towards Jesus. That might be giving your life to him, or that might be just praying and saying like, Lord, if this is real, or you know, God, if this is real, would you, uh, would you make it clear to me? Because if it is real, I, w- I, w- I want it to be real, and I want it to be real to me. So let's spend some moments meeting with him. Uh, then uh, I think we've got a couple young men that are going to be serving us, and so they'll have uh, plastic gloves on, and they'll, they'll, have, they'll break off the bread for you, so let's come down the center aisle. Uh, then they'll just say, this is the body of give- Jesus given for you. Uh, then take wine or juice, obey your conscience. And the way, take the elements... Uh, then go back to your seats and remain standing and we'll take it together as family. So let's respond to him.